How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Unscrewed, the show that knows that real liberation includes sexual liberation. I am your host, Jacqueline Friedman, and welcome to, if I may say so myself, what I think is a pretty special episode of Unscrewed. You all have heard from Tina Horn before. She's been on multiple episodes talking about the politics of porn and sex work and representation, but she has her own brand fucking new comic book series out called Safe Sex. By the time you're hearing this, you may have already read my interview with her about it in Teen Vogue. But what you may not know is that that little tiny edited thing came from like a much longer interview that I did with her that was so good and so interesting because there's just no one I'd rather talk to about queer theory and rebellion and politics and art and all of this stuff. So I asked her for permission to run the audio from that interview as a podcast. So here we are. But of course, I didn't do it in podcast format. So I've asked her to come back to do the lightning round with me and to say hi so we can do a little framing. So Tina, thanks for coming on the show to talk about safe sex. Thanks for having me. Yay! I'm so excited for you! Thank you, Jacqueline. That means so much to me. I mean, the series is so good. Thank you. (laughs) It's so good. Let's just jump in so we can get into it. What is making you happy this week? As we were having a little Skype preamble, my doorbell rang. And what it was, was my uh, comps from my publisher image of the second print run of Safe Sex. We sold out the first print run, which already had twice the numbers that anybody thought that brand new comic from a brand new comic book creator would have. You sold out that first print run before it went on sale. Before it went on sale, correct. Like a boss. Thank you. How does it feel to hold it in your hands? It's really nice. It's wrapped in plastic, which is sort of fetishy, I guess. And now I have it in my hand. It is so perfect and 
funny and sexy. I love that I get these giant boxes of comics that I made and then I get to smell them. So that makes me really happy. The reception for the comic is making me happy. Being at Comic-Con made me really happy. What is the best sex advice you ever received? Things change and I've realized that more than any particular sexual or gender identity that I have, I have a value of remaining flexible and open. And I don't just mean my hips, honey. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean, if somebody expresses a boundary, just wait around and eventually it will change. But being open to the fact that your own boundaries may change and surprise you is really delightful. Amazing. What's been making you maddest or saddest about the sexual culture lately? My friend, Jack the Stripper, she consulted on Hustlers and appears in the movie. She was getting a lot of love from the mainstream, but really getting dragged online by other sex workers who were basically coming for Jack because Hustlers, like whether people don't like the movie, whether they have problems with the way that it was made or people have very legitimate critiques of the fact that Hustlers is allowed to use social media to promote all these images of strippers, but actual strippers are being banned and shadow banned. But everybody's coming for Jack. And I feel defensive of my friend, but I also feel like this is an example of horizontal violence where... Yeah, let's have a systems analysis. Who has the actual power in this situation? Exactly. And I feel like as long as we keep coming for one another and dragging one another... We're all going to burn each other out. And meanwhile, the people who have the most power in these systems are raking in the cash and they're not bothered by people critiquing them online. And I feel like whatever your community is, if you are putting energy into calling out and dragging the most immediate member of your community who might also be trying to be an ambassador between your community and these larger systems. Like, can we, I don't know, this is me now being a Pollyanna where I'm like, can't we all just get along? Or just like stop for a second and think like the person who you have most access to and who's most likely going to respond to you. Yeah. Like, isn't always the person who's the correct receptacle. They just feel like the most satisfying receptacle because you, you have a higher expectation of getting a response. Exactly. And I think that we're all in a lot of pain and our pain is legitimate. And sometimes I think that we know that people who actually care are going to be the most hurt by these critiques and I think that on some level this is how trauma replicates itself and I I, you know I think that we all need to do our best to support one another and and interrogate the way that we might be taking out our trauma on one another instead of mobilizing and putting that energy towards fighting the power yes all right what is a sex myth that you once believed but don't believe anymore okay I knew I was bisexual from go I knew that I was attracted to all genders indiscriminately. (laughs) (laughs) And for a long time in the 90s, I believed a lot of tropes about biphobia. And then I reached a point where being more involved in more queer communities as an adult in the aughts, 
I was sort of introduced to the idea that bisexuality is inherently transphobic because it says that there's only two genders. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I don't identify as bisexual because I'm not transphobic. But I actually think that I glommed onto that because of more internalized biphobia. And now I think there's a really, really great bisexuality movement that is framing the idea of bisexual identity as being attracted to genders both like and unlike your own. And that cracked something open for me where I was like, right, sometimes I'm a homosexual in the sense that I'm attracted to people who have the same gender as me and those people can have any kind of genitalia and really identify in any way. It might be like an aesthetic thing. It might be like, you know, it might be... Okay, wait, stop. I'm having a brain thing. Okay. Under that definition, which I'm not disagreeing with i think it's a provocative definition i feel like i'm not bisexual because i'm not i I mean look there are exceptions to every fucking rule okay but as a rule i'm not attracted to To femmes interesting i'm much more attracted to masculinity in all genders when you say like genders like and not unlike your own like i'm almost always attracted to genders that are unlike mine in some way that makes me feel like... Do you identify as bisexual, Jackie? I have struggled with bisexual for that exact sort of binary language reason. And in recent years, I've kind of just shrugged my shoulders and been like, well, this is the word everyone uses, so I guess mm. I'm bisexual. I don't love it as a word, but I definitely experience my attraction patterns explicitly about masculine of center attractions. It's interesting. I mean, listen queer was the first identity that I was like, this is me because it's so post-structuralist and so open source. And so like queer feels the most comfortable for me as an identity of all the sort of available language. But sometimes when I am in queer spaces or talking to Mm -hmm. friends that identify as queer, I will start to talk about things that are specific to loving and dating and romancing people of all genders and lots of different bodies and lots of different genitals and what it might mean for me a queer person to be dating a cis male like is that a queer relationship sometimes I'll be in queer spaces that with people who are homosexual right and they don't have that same experience and so being able to talk more openly about being bisexual means that I'm like finding my bisexual brethren (laughs) and and then we're able to talk about the specific things that come from that experience and that is really important so maybe queer is umbrella and bisexual is within it I don't know but the idea that all of the myths of what it means to be bisexual maybe even this one that I just put out there to you that you're like well that doesn't include me I guess maybe the broader lesson is you can do whatever you want <laughs> don't kick me out of bisexuality man i'm definitely not i'm we need we need all the help we can get <laughs> okay that was fascinating it was like a whole journey i didn't expect it last <laughs> lightning is maybe the wrong descriptor for this round but last lightning round question anyway who's somebody doing brave work to unscrew the sexual culture that you want to give a shout out to I would love to give a shout out to Kink Out. 
an organization based in New York that has been around for the past couple of years that creates community space around art and activism for sex workers, kink and leather folk, queers, sluts, you know, my people basically. And they are doing a fundraiser for Red Canary Song, which is another amazing New York-based organization that serves Asian American and Asian migrant sex workers, particularly ones who work in massage parlors in Queens. And they are doing an installation about queer sex work history at the Leslie Lohman Gallery in Manhattan and doing a residency at MoMA PS1 that is going to have a bunch of different elements to it. And I think that they are so amazing and there's so many volunteers working so hard at that organization. So check out Kink Out. And if you are in New York for any of their events, I couldn't recommend them more. Amazing. All right. Do you want to say anything to introduce the interview I did with you like in August? I'm really glad that you decided to release it on the podcast. There's no way I was going to leave all of that amazing juicy conversation on the cutting room floor so i'm so grateful to you for letting us all hear it and here's that interview thanks jacqueline and thanks unscrewed listeners let's just start by you telling me about the book generally and also like why this story why this medium why now so I've loved sci-fi my whole life and loved horror my whole life and I definitely have always had a special love for comic books so when I was given the opportunity to write a comic I was like well here's what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my love of sci-fi and horror genre fiction my understanding of comics and then fuse it with all of the the themes of my nonfiction work. And so what I came up with in collaboration with the first editor I worked with on this project, Amadeo Totoro, was a dystopian American sci-fi story where it's as much a social thriller in the vein of like Get Out or as it is like a dystopia like Handmaid's Tale in the sense that everything that is bad about what the government is doing is just like the absurdity is just tweaked up just a notch so that it's a world that most people would recognize, but horrible things are happening in it to the point where you know the mainstream audience reading this will be like, wow, it would be really horrible if things felt like that. And then all of the sexually marginalized groups that I am a part of and that I try to tell the stories of in my nonfiction work, you know, we're all like, yeah, it's been this bad for us. I literally have a question about the Margaret Atwood's rule where she wrote The Handmaid's Tale only by using things that had already happened somewhere and like was wondering how you thought about your world building in terms of creating the rules of this dystopia. So the rules of the dystopia are this. The American government has been taken over by an organization called the Party. Very Orwellian, ironic name, the Party, because they're no fun. (laughs) (laughs) So the Party is, if you want to think about the religious right totally taking over the American government and like getting the America that they say that they want. Again, has that maybe already happened? So they have instilled certain government programs, such as this very Kafkaesque level of over-bureaucratizing intimacy and pleasure and gender. 
so that everyone has to file paperwork every time they have sex. There are several implications of that. One is very much based on class and very much based on my own experience of how much more of a pain in the ass bureaucracy is when you are marginalized and how much time and energy accessing basic resources is when you don't have a lot of money and don't have a lot of social mobility. That bureaucracy isn't a disproportionate tax on the poor. Thank you. (laughs) Bureaucracy is a disproportionate tax on the poor. So I've sort of taken that and like applied it to sexual privilege. So if someone is married, which, by the way, often goes along with financial privilege in our current world and does in the world of safe sex as as well. But if someone is heterosexual in a heterosexual legal marriage within the story of safe sex, what you get is a purity score. And the purity score is a combination of your financial privilege your sexual privilege, your gender privilege has to do with education, has has to do with like all these different things that can up your purity score. So it's kind of like a credit score. And this right. is like, it sounds super Black Mirror, but this is actually a version of this is happening in China, isn't it? It totally is. Yes. So that's a very good example of the Atwood principle. Yeah. Within safe sex, you have more access to technology that makes it easier for you to file your paperwork, which helps you to keep your purity score up so you can access more resources, right? So this creates an incentive for people to conform and assimilate to the sexual norms and values that are espoused by the party. So it it incentivizes people to police themselves and others and to conform and to assimilate because they're tired of fighting. They just want to like relax and be safe. So that's the theme of safe sex. The question I was trying to ask myself when we named the book safe sex was what makes sex feel safe to people and what makes sex actually safe? And there's also a question throughout about how do we know which people are safe to trust, right? I think that there's a really interesting thread about complicity, right? About who are we willing to partner with as we take part in resistance, you know, and who's worth compromising with and who is too complicit with the system to trust. And literally to the point where in any given moment when I'm reading, I'm not always rooting for the same person. Oh, I love that. That's that. I'm very happy to hear that. I'm assuming that was a deliberate thing. And I wonder if you can talk on that a little bit. Yeah, you know, I recently had a gig as an intimacy coordinator for a production of A Streetcar Named Desire. Most of the sex scenes in Streetcar are about power struggle, and many of them can be read as abuse and or rape. But then in some cases, those lines are blurred, and and it's really up to the production and the actors to interpret it. And so something that I really noticed when I was restudying that text is that what makes Tennessee Williams such a genius is that in every single fight in that play, in at least one point of the fight, I felt like both characters or all of the characters had a point. Yes, yes. Like, yes, Stanley is rude, but also Blanche is being, like, disrespectful to him in his house. Yeah, and I wouldn't say that I identified with literally everyone in safe sex. There are some people that, well, but also you've only read the first two issues, right? So so part of the... It's true. I feel like you've got the protagonist and you've got the folks that she left behind for for some safety, right? For some feeling of safety. 
and they're like, fuck you, right? Yeah. Which is, in some ways, I totally identified with, and in some ways I was like, also is this that ideological purity fight that always, like, makes yes. us eat our own, like... 100%. That is, is a beautiful way of putting one of the main themes of this story. Yes. I mean, I think that's really fucking interesting. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, so much of the character dynamics are drawn from my experiences in sex work and in like kink and queer communities. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There's a lot of truth to saying that queer people, sex workers, other sexual outsiders are constantly advancing our cultural ideas of sex and pleasure. Yeah. And I wonder if you want to meditate on sort of like the upsides of that, but also the downsides. Like sometimes I think about like all of the labor that requires of us, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, we're tired. Like, is that why do you think that sexual outsiders are always the ones sort of advancing the conversation? And is that always a good thing? Well, let me start with, is it always a good thing? And the, the answer to that is no, because part of the cycle of that historically has been cultural appropriation, right? And the appropriation of sexual underground culture whether it's taking fetish imagery and making it hot couture. Yeah, Dolce & Gabbana. Yeah, yes. and then, you know, which is, it's one thing to appropriate it or to say like, hey, this is like, in, you know, this collection, this this high fashion collection is in tribute to, you know, Maplethorpe or whatever. It's one thing to do that, but then you get people saying, oh, well, this is post-fetish. This has nothing to do with all of that perversion. We're just taking the imagery and we are literally like sucking all of the juice out of it yeah. in order to make a fortune. And then meanwhile... Meanwhile, the people the who developed the, the iconography are mostly broke. Uh, broke? also statistically more vulnerable to violence, stigma, communication, lack of access to resources, which creates more mental health issues, which then perpetuates the idea that queers are sick, perverts are sick, oh, yeah. etc. I don't have a very good sense of fashion in the sense of like, this outfit symbolizes this, right? Like, mm -hmm. I don't, 
I have not historically read a lot of fashion magazines understanding the vernacular. The vernacular, exactly. Focusing on that, has it changed how you think about dressing yourself or presenting yourself at all? 100%. I still do sex work sometimes, but it's very few and far between. And it makes me think back to the time that I was a full-time dominatrix and worked a lot in porn and did like fetish modeling and cam modeling. I feel like I understand more now than I did then what my sartorial choices, what my fashion choices translated than I was even aware of at the time. There is a moment, and this is, I think, both like a really good example from the comic and something that is very grounded in, in my life. There is a moment in the first issue where a character who is in her mid-30s, which I am, who has been a sex worker since college, which I have been, you know, so since her early 20s, mm-hmm. is going in for a job interview for a media job. And she has a ton of experience and is overqualified for like a production assistant job. Mm-hmm. But she can't actually put all of her work experience on resume, which is something that is very real that I deal with and something very real that many of my colleagues, you know, my fellow sex workers deal with. They want us to stop doing sex work, but then they want us to explain the gap in our resume. And if we explain the gap in our resume, then they don't give us jobs. And then what choice do we have but to keep doing sex work if we need to survive? That hypocrisy is definitely something that I satirize in this this book because it's very personal to me. So there's the resume thing and the fact that she has to humble herself by taking an entry-level job, even though she's like qualified to be a director. She is going in for a job interview and all of her job interview clothes come from like slutty secretary scenes, right? (laughs) Yes. And this is absolutely something I experience all the time. Like I go to put on my only pencil skirt and I'm like, right, this pencil skirt is deliberately three sizes too small for me because (laughs) it's supposed to actually be a hobble skirt that I wear with like six inch stilettos that you would actually never wear if you were a secretary, maybe not never, but that probably like are very unrealistic for most administrative assistant jobs. So all of my quote unquote professional clothes are for slutty secretary blackmailing her boss scenes to give a character that like having that exact frustration and then to put her in again this like slightly more absurdist scenario where she has to go shopping last minute right before her job interview because she needs to get something appropriate and she doesn't understand what's appropriate and the sales lady asks her what makes you feel powerful and she has a reverie where she thinks about herself like in like a leather corset and stilettos and she is now living in a world where it is now like institutionalized that corsets and sexy skirts and stilettos are like oppressive to women and should never be worn. So then she ends up with this awful dowdy blazer and like frumpy skirt and flats. And that doesn't make her feel confident or powerful as a professional at all. So like that is something that I've experienced. And that's something that I think a lot of sex workers can relate to. And I think also like a lot of sluts can relate to Mm -hmm. like a lot of people of all genders who are used to feeling like I feel most powerful and like myself 
when I'm naked or when I'm in sexy clothes or when I'm being high femme or even when I'm being butch, right? Because being butch when you're a woman is also not always appropriate in the workplace, right? Like you're not allowed to be too femme, you're not allowed to be too butch, you're not allowed to be too extra. And that bind is incredibly frustrating and alienating. And I wanted to really capture that in a social satire kind of way that also becomes a social thriller when the stakes are raised to the level of an action-adventure comic, which is what this is. So I want to go back to the thought about queers and sex workers and sexual outsiders and sort of innovating and pushing the edges of the cultural conversation about sex. And we've talked about the downsides of that, but maybe let's talk also about like why we keep doing that. Because it's not like we don't know the fucking downsides. That's a great question. And I think maybe one way of answering it is to say that that's the complications of what it means to be safe, right? Like, does assimilating and conforming and buying the line that you're given that if you conform to default programming or mainstream culture or institutions that you will be protected So this first story arc, I call protection, right? Both as a pun on the name safe sex and the idea of like using protection, like using condoms, um, but also the idea of like, what does it mean to protect ourselves? What does it mean to protect our loved ones? What does it mean to try to protect our way of life? And what does it mean when people believe that in order to protect themselves, their loved ones and their ways of life, that they have to screw other people over in order to protect their way of life, in order to survive, that they have to throw other people under the bus, that they have to make other people less safe so that they feel more safe. And the the, the folly and the fallacy of that, which is why the villains, the two big bads of this first story arc are a second wave feminist and a white cis gay man who have assimilated into the party and are like developing their own programs to wipe out the perverts that they feel give feminism a bad name, homosexuality a bad name, right? Um, and those perverts that they're trying to wipe out are our heroes. What are the good things or the possibilities of continuing to create queer culture and why do we do it when it when we know how dangerous it is? Daniel Ortberg tweeted a long time ago, and I, I'm paraphrasing his tweet, something that has always stuck in my mind and has been sort of written above my desk as I have written the protection story arc of safe sex, which is something to the effect of the feeling of safety is not the same as the condition of being safe. Yes. And I think that... I teach this in all my workshops, actually. Hell yeah. We need to not confuse feeling safe with being safe. I actually talk about this all the time. When we talk about safe sex in the sense of, like, in the, in the way that that term is used in our vernacular, like, you know, using protection, using condoms and barriers, using birth control, there's the Michael Weinstein approach of everyone in porn must wear condoms and that will prevent the spread of HIV. And on the other side of that is a more harm prevention model of educating people and then respecting their autonomy to make risk-aware assessments about their own bodies. So 
I think what we can learn from what is going on in our current cultural moment around consent and around harassment and rape and Me Too, and what we can learn from our current cultural moment around like where the conversation is around AIDS and HIV and homophobia in the age of Truvada and zero viral loads, and yet the persistent homophobic-based fear of HIV and the way that our relationship to families and procreation and birth control and pregnancy is changing in some ways, in some ways regressing and in some ways progressing in the sense of people making chosen families and choosing to make families in, in different ways. Um, and then the government also threatening to take away our reproductive autonomy in many different ways. I think that what we can learn from all of that is that people are attracted to the danger of sex and love and friendship and life in general. And when unethical people create coercive, exploitative, abusive scenarios in which to enjoy the cheap thrill of dangers of sex and love, we have to identify that and know the difference between that and people having the freedom to make risk-aware assessments to get outside their comfort zones and enjoy the thrills of the danger of sex and love, like kink, like being slutty, like creating new kinds of family, like doing sex work, like uh, you know whatever your relationship is to loving sex work, needing sex work, doing sex work in order to survive even though you hate it, like whatever it is, Part of what I wanted to portray through the characters that I created in this story is what it might mean to choose danger in a way that is foregrounded in freedom and respect and community and chosen family. And that's what our heroes do. Whereas villains put other people in danger in order to feel safe, but it doesn't actually make them safe which they will learn when you think that you can protect yourself from stigma by making other people less safe. You only perpetuate the stigma, which is only going to come back around to you sooner or later. In a lot of ways, the party seems or is authoritarian and reminds me of Mike Pence and this social governmental political moment that we are in right now. But then also, it is clearly pointedly in some points talking about some strains of feminism and assimilationist queerness. And literally saying, not sideways saying, but directly saying, like, these two forces are in bed together. They are. The villainy of this story is absolutely constructed on the idea of what happens when communities that could be allies do the work of the oppressors for them and how the oppressors know they understand exactly how to activate people who have the opportunity to to pass yeah when when they they recognize hey you are a white cis straight second wave feminist you have the opportunity to pass as someone with uh, privilege in the society. All you have to do for us is wipe out these people who are making it hard for you. As we speak, the book, the series is not out yet. 
Yes. So thinking about it finally being in readers' hands and in comic book stores, like, what are you stoked about? How are you feeling? Oh, it's my gaby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm so excited for people to hold my gaby and <laughs> press it against their hearts. There are things that I fought to keep in the story that are going to be in the story. Image Comics is taking a risk by putting out a comic that has fisting on the second page, that has queer, kinky, sex work, joy portrayed without apology and even though there is violence and torture and danger, it's framed not as punishment for that joy, but as a critique of why people want to punish that joy. So I'm excited that my comic is going to be out there. The fisting stayed in the picture and the like kinky play parties with all kinds of depraved shit going on it is in there and it's not pathologized and it's not made fun of and it's not belittled. It's coming from somebody who has been there and identifies with it and loves it. I am so excited that all of the vibrators that have been in this story from the beginning are in there, that people are using the vibrators to get off. If you don't know how to use a vibrator, now you do. I feel really proud that the first issue of Safe Sex is now in like a beautiful lineage of femmes using high heels to, you know, fight back against their oppressors. Yes, this comic is a chance for me to dramatize a lot of the theory and politics and ideology and values that matter to me as a feminist, as a queer woman, as a sex worker, you know, as an out sex worker as an out kinky person, as a proud slut. But also I worked really hard to learn how to make an interesting, fun, funny action adventure fiction story. So I'm also excited for people to get caught up in the story, to fall in love with the characters, to argue about which character is right in certain conflicts, to be team Sylvia or to be team Avery or to be team George. I'm excited for people to to be caught up in the suspense and want to know what happens next after every cliffhanger. And I can't wait to hear what people think and maybe also to use storytelling to change hearts and minds and convince them of things that are really important to me that I would like to use to make a better world. Okay, Tina, we are back now in October again. And I just want to give you a chance before we go to give your little plug arama Where can people follow you, follow the comic? If people aren't comic fans already and this is their chance to become one, how do they get their grubby hands on safe sex? Like, talk us through it. My website is tinahorn.net. That's T-I-N-A-H-O-R-N. My Twitter and Instagram handle is at tinahorns.ass. That's T-I-N-A-H-O-R-N-S-A-S-S. Check out my podcast, Why Are People Into That? If you love Unscrewed, you will love Why Are People Into That? It's all about sex, kink, gender, and love. Jacqueline has been on it a few times, friend of the pod, Jacqueline Friedman. Yeah. You are also a contributor to Believe Me, my forthcoming anthology with Jessica Valenti, which is coming out in the end of January. 
your essay is so fucking good. Thank you. I love my essay that is in Believe Me. And I can't wait to read all the other essays in the book. And I can't wait for people to get their hands on it. I think it is such an important collection. Yes. You know what? Strangely, I do too. And <laughs> you can follow me all the regular places. I'm Jacqueline F. on Twitter and Facebook and Jacqueline Fable on Instagram. My website is JacquelineFriedman.com, where in the next month or two, you may start to see, believe me, tour date information cropping up. We're starting to have those conversations. Hell yeah. So also, if you're in a city and you want to make sure that we come to your city for Believe Me events, now it's a great time to hit me up and be like, hey, come to my town. And I love to make that happen if we can. If you like safe sex or if you just are interested in soft clothing for sluts, you should check out strippersforever.com. That's Jack the Stripper's web store. And Jack and I designed a collection that is based on safe sex. It's called the Dirty Mind Collection. You can get caps that say dirty mind you can get pillows that say can you explain that gap in your that's resume that's my very favorite and you can get tank tops that say sex love and torture and jack just made these leggings that look like dollar bills that say in sluts we trust oh i don't think i've seen those those are brand new i would love to see more people posting their cute faces with their dirty mind hats or their cute chests with sex love and torture tank tops so yes and if you have loved this episode and you want to support the show, there are multiple ways to do that. You can join Unscrewed Nation, get my weekly newsletter just for patrons and video hangouts and all kinds of other stuff at my Patreon page. Just put my name in Patreon. You'll find me. Uh, it means the world if you can chip in a couple of bucks a month to support my ongoing work on this podcast and everywhere else. You can also rate us and review us in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. Uh, that really genuinely helps people find the show. And you can also just continue to talk us up out there on social media and everywhere else. I just love seeing Unscrewed Nation out there recruiting recruit 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 <laughs> one of us <laughs> one of us unscrewed is produced by yours truly jacqueline friedman and edited by the amazing natalia rodriguez our in and out music is by the pink tiles and our cover art is by nicole dadonna until next week i am wishing you all safe and happy sex lives Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.